Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, welcome to church this morning. Um, I want to talk today about trust. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, how many ways? All your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So, trust in the Lord. So much easier said than done, right? I think about it for a second. If we think about the average sport, take basketball, put the ball in the hoop more times than the other team, right? Like, just follow that advice and you win every time. But how many of you realize it, it's more challenging to accomplish that? And there are strategies and there are, are approaches and different things that will make it better. So today we're going to be talking about trust. Philippians 4.19. How many of you are waiting to hear what it says to find out if you're going to believe it? It's God's word. We believe his word. It says this, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's, the Bible said to trust in all your ways, and then it says that he will provide for all your needs. What needs are those? That would be relational needs. That would be your kids, your friends, your spouse. That would be your health needs. That would be long life being disease-free, uh, your emotional and mental health and well-being. That would include your finances, your income, your debt, your giving, being free of stress. What is the easiest area to trust God? Now, for all of us, it's going to be something, well, for many of us, it's going to be something different. What is it that's easy for us to trust God in? And the answer is generally the area where we think we know already how he's going to provide for us, right? If, if you're wondering, can I trust God to find me a spouse? Well, the engaged person, it, it, it's a lot easier than the person who's not dating anyone at all. Why? Because one of them says, I think I know he's going to provide. They already gave me a ring. I'm pretty sure how God's going to, Fulfill that. Or the person who already has a job, it's easier to trust for financial blessing and provision than the person who is out looking for a job. But is it any harder for God to provide for someone looking for a job than someone who has one? Someone who's engaged versus someone who's single? It's not any harder for God. But it's harder for us. You see, trusting in God's plan or the plan we think God has for us and trusting in God are two different things. And years ago, I illustrated this by hanging from the ceiling of, a, of the, the auditorium. And I was trying to figure out how I could do it from here and it could be done, but it just wasn't dramatic enough because it's only 10 feet up. 
So can you see this picture? That's me hanging up in the, the sanctuary. I was about 40 feet up, and I came down on one rope. And I want you to picture this as I describe it. So since I didn't do it in here because it just wasn't tall enough. I had them send me a second rope. I said the first rope represented God's provision. The second rope was the job God gave me. And then I connected to that job, that second rope. And with the knife that you see in my hand, I began to cut the rope that I was resting on. Because the rope, the provision is the one that's kind of looped to the side there. So what happens sometimes is we, we're, we're going to trust God. God's going to provide for my needs. He's going to do that. And what does he do? He sends us an amazing job. And so we get that job, and then we get a promotion at that job, and then things are going good, and you're like, yeah, I know God. I trust God is going to provide for me. Why do I trust that? Because he keeps depositing directly into my account every week this awesome thing. But then rumors start to move around that there's going to be layoffs. And, and, and you start to get a little nervous. You know, out comes the knife and it starts to cut at that job that, we, that God was providing through. And then, you know, your coworker gets laid off. A couple more strands of the rope just start to fray. And the day that, that uh, I was hanging from the ceiling, I just took the knife and I said, and then they come and they take your job. And I sliced the rope that I was hanging from. And I fell about 10 feet until the other rope caught me. What did that other rope represent? God, he was there all along. But I had transferred my weight and my trust to the tool he was using. And I was trusting in that. It's not the same thing. We need to trust in God, not just the plan that we think he has. Genesis 22, verse 2. Abraham, we know the story of Abraham. Abraham was promised by God that he would be the father of, of many nations. But he wasn't having any kids. And then he finally had one. One kid with his wife through whom God told him he would make him the, the father of many nations. Then in verse 2, God says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains, I will tell you. So Abraham had begun to think of his son as the only, you know, that's how God's providing. This is, this is God's provision. He's going to fulfill his promises through this thing. And God challenged him, said, are you willing to give that up? And so he goes, not understanding exactly what's going to happen. But he was willing. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Here's the thing, when we look at the Old Testament stories, when we look at how God provided for Abraham, he, did not, he does not change. He will provide for you and I. He says, my character doesn't change. But you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, the tools I use will never change. See, God promises to be there for us. He promises to provide. 
But he didn't say you had to stay at the same job forever. Now, maybe you will. But that's not in the guarantee. Romans 11, 22 says, Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe to those who disobeyed, but kind to you. As you continue to trust in his kindness, but if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. A life of trust will make you stand out. He says, our trusting in his kindness is, is what keeps that kindness afloat. Our trust in another word, is faith. Faith is trust in God's faithfulness. When we trust, we will be different. I'll never forget. I was working um, in college. I was working um, for a particular uh, company, and my supervisor, it was a small office, um, and I was working in the warehouse, and I had one supervisor over me, and then there was the general, the office manager. And the office manager calls me into to his office one day, and he says, Josh, I got a complaint from your supervisor. I'm like, okay. You know, I've been doing my best, but I don't know what I did. Like, what's that complaint? And, and he said, your supervisor said you're insubordinate. Really? So, well, what did I do? He says, well, that's what I asked him. I said, what did he do? He says, Does, is, is there any orders that you've given that he didn't, you know, anything that you asked that you didn't do? And I am so grateful to this day for that particular manager because I don't know if I, I know at the time I wouldn't have caught it. But he asked that man, he says, what does he not do? And he says, well, he does everything I ask him to do. And so the manager's like, well, if he does everything you ask, why are you accusing him of being insubordinate? What's wrong? And he, he said, he's not afraid of me. <laughs> and the manager explained, he said, your, your supervisor does everything out of fear of losing his job. And he senses in you that you don't fear that. And he doesn't understand why. And my manager, my, my office manager was a Christian. He knew, he knew I was a Christian. And he asked me, in fact, I remember, he asked me at the beginning of the meeting, he says, so what if, what would happen, you know, what if you lost this job? And I think I even smiled and I said, well, if I, you know, God gave me this job. I'm going to do the best that I can with this job. But if I lose this job, God will bring me something else. I just don't know what it is yet. And, and he said, he said, your supervisor, he says, you stand out because everything he does, he does out of fear. And he just recognizes that you don't, you're not afraid of him. And he, 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 he just, it was confusing to him. When we operate in a place of trust, it shows. It shows to the world. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? So how the lilies, see how the lilies of the valley, or lilies of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We could just stop there. That verse is so powerful, so poignant. But again, I think that verse is a little bit like the person who comes and says, well, in order to win a basketball game, all you got to do is put in more baskets than the other team. But we're going to look into a few ways that we can build trust, things we can do. Psalms 37, 25 through 26 says, I was young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Isaiah 26, 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. So how do we build trust? One way we build trust, we just read it in Psalms 37, and I'm going to continue reading the next couple of verses in Psalms 37. Verse 25 says, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. One thing that builds trust is generosity. I remember uh, when, when I was in college, we did an exercise. We called it the crosswalk. And we took um, somebody drove us blindfolded 100 miles away. We didn't know in which direction they had taken us. And they dropped us off with like a six-foot cross and a group of us. And then our goal was to get back to Tulsa without asking for anything. And the goal was that we were, gonna, we were just going to trust God, pray, ask that God would open doors and give us stuff. And we, we prayed and, and God just kept providing, sending people. People would... Um, pull over and be like, you know what, I, I, I saw you walking down the road and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, come back down, what can I do for you? And we would do things. And, and I can remember times afterwards when I look back and said, you know, I remember. I remember what it was like to pray and ask and then see God answer. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. All of us have had God intervene on our behalf. I've told the story of the little boy who, who was flying his kite and he got it caught in a tree and he yanked and he pulled and he did everything he possibly could to get it out. And he's like, finally, I don't know what to do. He kneels down. He says, God, would you please help me get my kite out of the tree? Just then a gust of wind comes, blows it out of the tree, knocks it down. He says, never mind, God, it just fell down. <laughs> you know, so often, God, God has... 
been helping, protecting, providing. And if you don't think he has, you're that boy who says, oh, never mind. Because he has, and we can look back, and when we look back at what he has done, it builds our faith. And like, like David, we, we become more and more confident. We say, you know what? If he did that, he can do more. If he did that for me, if he did that for her, if he did that for them, and then we grow in our confidence and our trust. John chapter 17, verse 7 and 8 in the New King James says this. It says, now they have known. Jesus is, is, is praying to God, and he's talking about the disciples. He says, now they have known. All things which you have given me are from you, God. For I have given them the words which you gave me, and they have received them. Another translation says, obeyed them. And have known surely that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus is having this conversation with God, and he says, my disciples recognize that I come from you because they obeyed what I asked them to do. Christian, please stand up. Jump up and down three times and turn around. Come on. Do a loop. Okay. Sit down. You obeyed. Are you currently convinced that those words came directly from the Father? No. Why not? Why was it that when, when the disciples obeyed Jesus' words, they were convinced that his words came from the Father, but you can obey my words and you're not convinced? Let's, let's think about this for a second. What was happening when the disciples... Jesus would say to them, oh, we need to pay our taxes, go fishing. They would fish, the first fish they pulled out of would have a coin in its mouth. Whoa. They would say, we've ran out of food. And he would say, well, bring me some. And they would bring it, and he would bless it, and then he would say, okay, those five loaves, go give them to those 5,000 people. Okay. And they would obey, but after they obeyed, the supernatural would be released. The reason they recognized that his words came from God was because when they would obey, the supernatural would be released in their situation. Not before, but after they obeyed. Now, if I had said to you, jump up and down, turn around, and when you did, you started floating, or, or something supernatural took place, you would have thought differently, wouldn't you? You'd be like, wait a minute. When I did what he asked, something supernatural was released. Something unexpected happened when I obeyed. There must be something special about the words that he is giving me. That's what Jesus says about his words. He says, when my disciples obeyed, that's when they knew that my words were special. That's what I was talking about. When, when God says, give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. When he says to, to test me now in this. So many people are waiting. Well, when you bless me, I'll give. Mm. It's after we obey that we see the release of the supernatural. When we step out and we do what God has called us to do. When we obey, 
Genesis 22. We're going back to the story of Abraham. Remember, Abraham had been promised that his son would provide for him descendants like the sands on the sea. Sure. So here it goes. Verse 16 of Genesis 22. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. So God says to Abraham, he says, all of these promises will come true in your life. Why? Because you have done this. What is the this that he had just done? He had obeyed. He had obeyed. Obedience releases the supernatural. Obedience is like the light switch. It's like the trigger. The power is there to light up the room when the lights are off. But if nobody flips the switch, we don't get any light. When it comes to to firing a gun, the power to, to send that bullet flying is inside that that shell. It's there. Potential chemical energy stored as gunpowder with a little primer on the end. But it's not going to do anything until someone pulls the trigger. The supernatural power, the supernatural provision that God has for us, it is it is there. There is power in God's words. The trigger is our obedience. Our obedience because you have done this. Think about this for a second. Right after that, in verse 13, it says, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Here's my question. That ram that was caught in the thicket, that ram was the provision of God for that sacrifice. And he saw it after he had obeyed and after God had shown him all those things. But where was the ram 10 minutes earlier? Where was it? You know, like, one of the weird little things that I might want to do when I get to heaven is, is like, go back and, like, GPS track that ram. Like, I'd like to see, where was it? Where did God bring that ram from? Because I don't think that he materialized that ram just in the book. Poof! I think hours, perhaps days before, God just kind of began to steer that ram around the mountain, on the way. So Abraham was packing for his trip with his son. The ram was on the way. Abraham was climbing the mountain. And his son said, we have, fu- we have wood, we have embers, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham answers, the Lord will provide. The ram was on the way. He gets up there. He ties up his son. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Where was the ram? 
he was on the way. He was getting close. But it's amazing how those animals are camouflaged. You know, if he'd have known where to look, he probably could have seen it at that point. Coming around, but he didn't know. The ram was on the way. The ram is God's provision. So, when I can see it coming, when I've been praying for, for a spouse and I'm engaged, you know what? I can see it. What? The ram is on the way. We know. We know what size tux he needs. We know. But even when I don't see it, when I don't see which job I'm going to get, we can say, say it with me. The ram is on the way. When Satan is trying to discourage me and tell me that, that it's finally happened, God is not going to follow through in my case. The ram is on the way. I might look up and look around and I don't see it. But it's coming. When the problem is all I can notice, the ram is on the way. When the situation looks hopeless, the ram is on the way. God has promised, and he is faithful who promised. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. I want to encourage you to take those steps to recognize. Recognize that the ram is on the way. Recognize that when we obey, we empower, we release the, the supernatural to make good on God's promises. And recognize that we need to focus on what God has done. He, he has given us examples, both in our lives and the lives of others and the lives of those that are in his word. All of those are valid examples that we can look back on. And we prioritize those thoughts. Listen, just because you have a thought does not mean that it's, it, you should entertain it. The saying goes, you, can, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. If you have a thought, all right, it came. But you don't have to welcome that thought, meditate on that thought. And give it priority in your mind. Prioritize those thoughts. And then give. Be generous. Watch as God shows himself faithful. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us. That your word is filled with promises for each and every one of us. I ask that you would bring those to our remembrance. Lord, I ask that you would, you would stir those up in our hearts. Lord, and remind us that your word is true, that you are faithful, that you have the provision to fulfill your promises on the way. I just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you know your sins are forgiven, you know you're right with God, I want to ask you, just raise your hand. Woo!
The Bible says, no, you have salvation. If you're looking at all these people raising their hand, you're like, how did you, how do they know? I mean, I hope, but these people know. How do they know? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. It is a promise he has given. He says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I want to invite anyone here or anyone watching, if you recognize that's something you have not done, you have hoped, but you have not believed. Let's do that today. With every eye closed, just for a moment, if you want to pray that prayer and put your faith in God's promise today, I invite you to raise your hand. If you're watching online and that's you, raise your hand in the living room, in the car, wherever you are. And then I invite everyone to repeat with me as we pray. Say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead. I trust in you. I give you my life. I choose to live for you. And I accept your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, we'd like to know. know. We have a gift we'd like to give you. Um, We can do so digitally. So just send us a private message or put a comment in the video you're watching right there. And we will get that to you. Um, If you were here, we have that gift for you in person.